This episode of Epicenter Bitcoin is brought to you by Fairlay. Fairlay is a Bitcoin prediction market where you can place predictions on the likelihood of sporting events, the Bitcoin price, or current affairs. You earn money if your predictions are correct. Head over to fairlay.com slash epicenter, that's F-A-I-R-L-A-Y dot com slash epicenter, to place your first bet today. And by the Gem Social Messaging app. We believe GEMS has a real potential to bring new users into the Bitcoin ecosystem and take adoption to the next level. It's social messaging on cryptocurrency steroids. The GEMS presale is running now, and you too can benefit from becoming an early supporter. Head over to getgems.org to learn more. And by Shapeshift.io. With no account or sign-up required, it's the easiest way to buy and sell Litecoin, Dogecoin, Darkcoin, and other leading cryptocurrencies. Go to shapeshift.io to instantly convert all coins and to discover the future of cryptocurrency exchanges. Hello, welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin, the show which talks about the technologies, projects, and startups driving decentralization and the global cryptocurrency revolution. My name is Sebastian Quitu. And my name is Brian Fabian Crane. So today uh, we have a bit of a special episode. Uh, we are approaching our, our one-year anniversary, or actually we did our, our pilot episode, I think just about a year ago, maybe a bit over a year ago. And yeah, Actually, I, I think it was just about now, about this time. It was right before New Year's, if I recall. I think it was before Christmas. But then our first official episode was uh, just around New Year's, right? So, um, yeah, we've sort of come a, a full year. And um, as... As you know, as our listeners, we have been doing a lot of interviews recently. So we've been talking to a lot of people uh, and getting their perspectives on things. And today we're going to do a bit of a different episode in that it's just going to be the two of us. And we're going to have uh, time to really dive into some of the things that happened this year, some of the areas that we find most interesting and most important. And we're also going to uh, look out a bit and talk about uh, 2015 and what we can expect in those different areas. A fireside chat, I think we can call it. Yes, a fireside chat, which also means we have uh, secured ourselves some alcohol. Because, yes. Because uh, so. <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't be uh, complete. So what are, you, what are you drinking there, Brian? I'm having some port. Let, let's see the bottle. This is from a, a brand called Sandman. They are not our sponsor. <laughs> Very nice. And I'm, I'm drinking uh, Muscat de Rivesalt. I don't know if this is any good. But uh, it's got the green label, so that means it's uh, it's green. controlled by the state. Yeah, that means it's good. Um, All right. <laughs> also, uh, just before we get started, I wanted to announce, or at least let you guys know about the episodes that are coming up, So, which are going to be, uh, again, more in line with what we've been doing recently. So we're going to have uh, Robert Sams coming on in one week. Now, if you listen to our episode with Vitalik, we did talk a little bit about this idea of a, a stable coin. So a cryptocurrency that isn't volatile, but sort of uh, adjusts its supply in a way that the price is relatively uh, stable. And uh, he's written a paper on that. And he's a, he's a well-known sort of a crypto economist and a hedge fund guy in London. And we're going to talk with him about that. It's a really interesting uh, topic. Then we're going to have Preston Byrne and uh, Sean Jones. Uh, Sean Jones, of course, has been uh, many times doing regulatory stuff uh, for Epicenter Bitcoin. And Preston Byrne has also been on our show uh, in an interview once uh, uh, that Sean actually did. And so he started a new company called uh, Iris or Iris Industries. I'm not sure how you pronounce it. And 
the idea, I think, is to have some sort of decentralized autonomous organization uh, framework that's also integrated in the legal framework, I think. But uh, we will be diving into that. And I think Preston's a really interesting guy. And uh, Sean, I think, will, will, will make for a really interesting topic. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, absolutely. And we're also going to have Adam Levine on um, probably in February, beginning of February. And we're going to talk about cryptocurrencies and media. And of course, Adam Levine played a crucial part in, in this podcast getting started because we did our pilot episode as, as part of the Let's Talk Bitcoin uh, contest uh, a year ago. So, I mean, looking, looking back on the year, it's been an exciting year. We've uh, done over 70 episodes, if you count in all the conference stuff. Uh, that we did uh, at different conferences like Berlin, London, and, and Amsterdam. And I got to say, I mean, in, 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 in some, I have to say it's been a pretty successful year. We were wrapping it up with a huge episode we did with Vitalik last week. So if you haven't heard that episode, definitely check it out. Uh, it's definitely our most popular episode with, uh, I think, about 2,000 views on YouTube just a week after its release. Uh, it was very interesting. And uh, so, yeah, I mean... I'm I'm really happy to see like wh where we from what we've gone, which was essentially a hobby. I mean, if you think about it at the beginning, to an actual business with an audience and a and a growing community, and uh, I'm I'm really looking for forward to 2015. I think we have lots of things to do, and uh, and lots lots to build. Absolutely, I think it will be interesting for us, and of course, uh, correspondingly for Bitcoin, and 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 the two are very tightly linked. Uh, and that's uh, one thing. So, uh, well, let's do this. So first of all, I, I want to briefly mention uh, the topics we have before I sort of segue back to what I was going to say. <laughs> um, so we're going to talk about regulation a bit. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, adoption. We're going to talk about uh, decentralized applications and sort of the Bitcoin 2.0 space. Uh, we're also going to talk about security. Uh, and, and that's sort of, in our view, are the, some of the main interesting topics this year and, and looking forward. And before that, uh, we wanted to just very briefly mention a few of the, the um, I don't know how you would call that, sort of the main things people focus on or sort of drivers of the development or maybe uh, one could say marks of the development. Um, so That's the a first good way one to call it, yeah. Yeah, so the first one is price. Now, if you are listening to this, of course, you are well aware that the Bitcoin price hasn't done too well in 2014. I think when we started this and when a lot of people started things in Bitcoin space was when the price was just going through the moon and we passed $1,000 very briefly beforehand. And even though the price had gone down maybe a tiny bit, but at least personally, I thought, and I think a lot of people felt this is just sort of a speed bump, but now it's going to go full up to the moon. And that hasn't happened at all, right? So I think in many ways you can say 2014 was a good year. A lot of things have happened. But if you look at the Bitcoin price, it certainly doesn't look that way. Uh, what, what, was your, um, what was your expectations, Sebastian, when you go into the, like when we started out? Do you remember what you thought was going to happen with the Bitcoin price? I I guess I would say in retrospect, I naively thought that the price was going to continue to go up, which is why 
I bought a bunch of Bitcoin when the price was going up uh, back in, uh, I guess, December of last year. Probably not a good move <laughs> at the time. Uh, probably would have been best to wait a little bit until the price came back down again. But I mean, if you look at if I'm I'm no by no means uh, qualified to give any sort of analytical uh, information about price charts. But if you look at the price chart, it is even though it has been in a steady well, not a steady decline, but a sort of stable decline in the last year from its peak at above a thousand dollars. I mean, it's definitely above where it was in 2013. Um, I don't want to say it's stabilized, but I mean, for the last few months, it's been hovering around 500, between five and four hundred dollars. Five and three hundred. <laughs> Sorry, keep doing the yeah. euro conversion. So I think we're better off now than where we were perhaps 18 months ago. Uh, but there is a lot of room to grow. That's That's for sure. I mean, I think we all yeah. like to see the price go up. And the price will bring in more people, and sort of, it's sort of a, a snowball effect where the more people come in, the more the price will probably go up, and then the more the price goes up, more people come in. And right, right. So I mean, I think the interesting thing is that I personally thought of the price as sort of a tracker, a tracker of the Bitcoin, the state of Bitcoin, right? Like where are we in the development of Bitcoin? And I think that's the way many people uh, think and thought of the price. But what we've had in 2014 is a bit of a decoupling of that because the price has done terribly. But at the same time, if you look at VC investment, which is another sort of interesting um, indicator, and also just the growth in the number of startups and the number of mature startups and the number of startups that are run by you know professional people who have experience, who have funding, etc., that has exploded. You know, there was very quite... There was not very much uh, a year ago. Uh, two years ago, there was practically nothing. And today, there's quite a lot. So that has developed a lot. The price hasn't come along with that. And it, it would be interesting to speculate why. Uh, I think we, we did some of that with, with uh, in the episode with Daniel Galanzi. Um, but that being said, I... I do suspect that is going to change. I don't think we will. This decoupling will continue, and I think somehow it has to catch up. Right. Um, no, I think that's a good, good way to look at it. The 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 ecosystem is growing from within, uh, with like you said, you know, startup growth, ecosystem, uh, the uh, the investment community coming in and, and investing uh, more and more in in startups. I mean, we've seen just a growth of investment money in in the last year. It has to catch up at some point, but then the question is, what happens? Does that bubble explode when that happens? You know, when the mainstream realizes that everybody is 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 uh, that they need to start looking at cryptocurrency, you know, will there be an explosion of the price, and then will it come back down again? Well, I mean, in a sense, if there is a a, a belief develops that cryptocurrency is sort of an asset of the future, then it never has to come down per se, right? Uh, it's not like stock where there's a bubble and there is some earnings that you know that are tied to the corporate activities. So at some point, that valuation has to come down unless the earnings go up. We don't have that with Bitcoin, right? There's nothing keeping it sort of down. Um, that being said, uh, one thing 
that is to consider is one thing we talk about with Vitalik as well, and we're going to talk about with Robert Sams. Uh, that's the whole idea of how good of a currency is Bitcoin, how good of a how good of a, a store of value is Bitcoin, and and of course that may have an influence because we may have a success of cryptocurrencies, but maybe not with Bitcoin. So I think that's very possible. Um, and and of course, if that's the case, then there doesn't have to be any correlation anymore, right? We can have cryptocurrencies take over the world and Bitcoin go to zero. Yeah. It's totally possible, I think. I, I think that's probably one of the things that struck me most from the, that stayed with me since the, uh, from the Vitalik episode is, uh, is um, you know, will, will Bitcoin be a stable unit, unit of account? And his response was pretty simple. That probably won't be Bitcoin uh, because, yeah, because, yeah. because it has... Um, it doesn't have the attributes required to to be a stable unit of account. And to be honest, I, I think I I do agree with him. I there, there are a lot of people who have said that you know Bitcoin has become more stable over time, like less volatile, and, and maybe that is true. But I don't think that's something that will necessarily continue. I think even mm-hmm. if even if the Bitcoin isn't displaced by some other currency, and even if Bitcoin now breaks through and and really gets used sort of globally as a world currency in payment. I think that is not going to decrease volatility at all because you will have a lot of people flushing into Bitcoin, people thinking like, where is this going to go? Do I need to move my money over there? Uh, that's going to have a, a drive huge volatility. I mean, for the most part, in a good way, it's going to be upward volatility, but also downward. I mean, it's going to be, it's just going to be very volatile. And of course, one could imagine maybe in 20 years or 50 years when everybody is using Bitcoin all the time, that you won't have these dynamics anymore, but that's a very, very long way uh, to go uh, if we ever get there. So in the meantime, I think Bitcoin is going to be very volatile. Now, the question is, how much of a disadvantage is that? Does that mean it's not going to be used uh, as a sort of the currency, cryptocurrency of the future or not? And, and I'm not sure which one, where it's going to go. I think both scenarios are possible. Uh, and I have a question for... Uh for the economist in you, um, what what was what would what would be to happen if um, so? Take for example, you know, we're we're a Bitcoin only company. We accept Bitcoin as payment from our advertisers, and we pay, I guess, most of our suppliers in Bitcoin. And you know, moving forward, we'd like to pay all of them in Bitcoin. Um, if Bitcoin companies that work closely together, as has been the case, I mean, a lot of a lot of companies in the Bitcoin space do work together. Uh, if if they all start pricing in Bitcoin, is that feasible? Is that possible that the the Bitcoin ecosystem prices in Bitcoin regardless of uh, the volatility? No, I yeah, I, I get I get your question, and I think the answer is no, because I mean the only scenario where you could imagine this is if you had some sort of closed off system right where you don't interact uh with the outside world but that is not true at all right i mean even though we have most of our revenues in bitcoin and we pay a significant part of our expenses in bitcoin nothing is priced in bitcoin right uh everything's priced in us dollars or euros or something like that so you cannot just ignore that it it doesn't work at all i think Uh, so there's I don't think there's any way of that happening. 
So I guess the next topic on the list is, uh, you know, still in the sort of general overview of, of the last year's media and specifically the, tra- the treatment of Bitcoin in mainstream media and how that's evolved. Um, I think the general consensus in, <clears throat> in Europe and also in the United States, I'm not sure that would be the case in Russia or China or countries like that. But uh, I, my impression is that in, in the last year, we've seen a trend where the media has become more sympathetic to Bitcoin or at least not as, uh, they don't come down on it as much as they used to. I mean, when I first got into uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem about a year ago, my my impression was that the mainstream media was very negative about it, focusing on um, on sort of like the, the speculative bubble and then Mt. Gox and all these other bad stories that happened within in, in the past year. I think in the last six months, we've seen sort of a general trend where the media, the mainstream media is starting to get it. I, I don't know if it's also because governments have started to get it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Brian? Well, I think that is going too far. Uh, I, I personally see a little bit of a divergence. Uh, and I think Bitcoin is ta- being taken a lot more seriously in the in the tech space, in the startup space. So if you read like TechCrunch, and I think it, it really has broken through to an extent in the startup world, right? In Especially in the Silicon Valley startup world. And I think that's reflected in the content and, and the treatment you see uh, in uh, a site like TechCrunch, but also on some mainstream media that's more focusing on that. But then if you see uh, the treatment in uh, European newspapers, it's definitely, I think, there is that has become sort of a voice, right? Where it says, "Oh, Bitcoin is this interesting technology. It has a lot of potentials. It could lead to a lot of things. Uh, even Microsoft is accepting it now. That sort of thing." Um, but at the same time, you still have a, a lot of voices that it is some sort of um, dubious thing, and like they're trying to do a currency, which is a government job, or. A, it's way too volatile. It's a speculative bubble. I think all of those are still very, very strong. Um, but uh, I think it has lessened a bit, right? And I think that other voice has uh, gained in prominence. I think the we we can say that it's sort of neutralized. So the the if if the uh, if the voice was mostly negative a year ago, it's more nuanced now and we might look at both sides of the yeah. coin rather than simply looking at the negative sides right you still have the negative voices but you also have some positive voices now and, and you have some in the middle and so is there anything else you want to add to to media uh, no i think that's it i mean maybe one thing we can talk about is the the bitcoin media bitcoin specific media um my my view is that, of course, you know the, the price increase in December uh, ushered in uh, a whole a whole bunch of new media outlets. I mean, there are definitely more podcasts than they were than there were a year ago. Uh, there's more Bitcoin news sites now. Whether so, I I, I think there's there's a lot lots more Bitcoin blogs and Bitcoin news sites, which ones are qualitative and not. I think a lot of them are simply reblogging or reposting what the big ones are doing. But uh, there's definitely more variety in in terms of uh, Bitcoin media. Like there's lots of new YouTube channels uh, that have popped up in the last year as well. Uh, What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, uh, interesting point. I mean, this is actually something I've been sort of watching over the year, uh, of course, also from personal interest and, and from us doing Epicenter Bitcoin. And uh, I've, I've really been paying attention throughout the year to the Alexa ranking. So for those who don't know uh, Alexa, it's, it's, it's basically sort of a ranking of the popularity of all the websites in the world. It's not perfect, but it at least gives a, a good indication of the traffic levels we're seeing. And if you look at that and you look at any of the main Bitcoin sites, whether it's Coinbase, Blockchain.info, uh, uh, Coindesk, uh, any of those uh, sites and companies uh, like that have been around for a uh, you know, relatively long time, the traffic levels have declined pretty much uh, uh, very, very significantly throughout the year. And most of them are, I would say, they probably lost like 50% of the traffic or something since... Uh, January, right? Now, I think that if you if you know if you track that compared that with the price, that's very much dry, uh, you know, very much correlated. So I think that's been interesting to watch. So I, I think a lot of these um, media sites you're talking about, media endeavors you're talking about, they were started uh, like we started it at the at the height, right, where everybody was excited about it. This is a big opportunity, and I think for the most part, it hasn't lived up yet, right? But of course, we believe and many others believe that it will come. So, you know, you keep doing it. But, and, and of course, some of them didn't, right? So many of them also stopped. But I guess that's just normal. No, but I think, you know, like the price, we've seen a leveling off of, uh, of Bitcoin-specific media. And so the cream has risen to the top. And I mean, in terms of, in terms of blogs, you, you, we, you know, we can identify perhaps four or five, maybe six uh, blogs that are kind of top of mind that people will be able to cite um, people in the space anyway as sort of go-to places for Bitcoin news and you know podcasts as well you know there's sort of you know with uh, you know a good example is uh, in Amsterdam uh, there was the blockchain awards and they actually had a podcast category well before before like in the year previous we wouldn't have been able to have a podcast category because there was yeah, one podcast. That's right, yeah. So, I mean, I think another uh, another thing that sort of very much tracks into that is uh, the conference space. Mm -hmm. And if you, I think it was very similar in the conference space, right? There was basically in the first half of 2013, there was like one conference or two conferences. There was the San Diego conference by the Bitcoin Foundation. And then in the fall, there were some conferences. I went to my first Bitcoin conference uh, in the fall 2013 in Amsterdam. It was a great conference. Um, uh, also, pretty much full, sold out. A lot of enthusiasm, right? Price going up. Everybody was starting conferences. You started having conferences. Uh, you had like a conference every, every weekend. Constantly, there was a conference somewhere. And I think what I've seen is that those haven't done very well, right? Like they, a lot of them have been half empty. They have had difficulty selling their sponsorships. Uh, so I would say, you know, and, and I mean, I know personally a few people organizing conferences that have had this experience. And, and now if you look at the fall conferences, uh, I think there's not that much, right? This fall, I, I think there has been a decrease uh, from before. And, and there's definitely something something similar going on there, right? There was a lot of enthusiasm. A lot of people got into this space. I mean, actually, I was actually also thinking of putting on a conference at one point. I'm very glad I didn't get into this. 
Yeah, so uh, so was I. <laughs> um, and and that's totally leveled off because, uh, and that sort of tracks also uh, one of our topics is that adoption just hasn't kept up with what expectations have been. Yeah, I mean, I agree. We definitely saw explosive growth in, in conferences, uh, but whether they're profitable or um, or of, of any interest, because I mean, a lot of these conferences, I mean, you look at the speaker list, uh, it's it's just always the same people, right? So if you get 10 conferences uh, in the year and you're seeing the same talks and seeing the same people, um, I mean, I think this is this is something we talked about at some point as well. Is you know what what are what are our goals when we're going to conferences? Uh, is it is it to produce content? Is it to meet people? Uh, and I think when when you're choosing a conference to go to, you really have to um, try. You really have to think of that and 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 uh, evaluate whether it will be you know profitable for you to go there. Um, whether you'll get a return on well, whether you'll get a return. I, yeah. would, I wouldn't say profitable, but if you'll get the return. On your investment yeah absolutely now just uh briefly uh i wanted to talk about meetups because we both have meetups and we haven't really sp- talked about it in a long time right um i'd like to get your your feedback on on the berlin meetup in the last year yeah so uh i started uh when i when i got into bitcoin in when i, w- I was living in berlin there were two existing meetups. One was uh, a meetup at Room 77, which is a, a, the first physical location to accept Bitcoin in 2011. It's a, a restaurant, the bar, uh, run by, owned by Jörg Plotzer. And there was also a Bitcoin exchange, which is sort of a Satoshi Square thing, which was once a month. And it did have a short talk, like 10 minutes or something, usually. And uh, so I wanted to have a meetup that's really focused on... Um, building companies, getting people together, really having content and that sort of stuff. So I started Bitcoin Startups Berlin Meetup in, I think it was like October 2013. And uh, it was very well received from the beginning. We had like, I think, 35 people at our first meetup. It was, of course, also at the sort of when, when you just started having the price going up and there was a lot of enthusiasm at the time. And uh, you really felt that, uh, like the, the atmosphere was very clear that, you know, we are onto something big sort of thing. And our meetup has, uh, has done well, you know, I mean, I think it's it's been a, a great group. We have meetups every two weeks and we have usually between three and four, five, sometimes even uh, talks. We've had a lot of great people giving talks. And, and today we have about 450 members on, on meetup. And if you talk about the actual attendance of our meetups, it's actually not that different from when we started out. It's still about, I would say, 40 people. We have had a few bigger ones. Um, So we've had up to maybe 100 people uh, at some occasions. But uh, I think it has been it's been a great experience. So and it's been uh, lots of fun and very valuable to do it. And I think it has served a good purpose in getting the community together in Berlin. How many have you done so far? Oh, I'm just on that. We have done 32. Wow. Okay. And you do it every two weeks? Yeah, we do it every two weeks, basically. Yeah. Mm. Well, that's, that's slightly contrast to my experience here. I mean, I started the meetup just after you. So I guess in January, I did my first one and we've had five. Uh, I had a couple, I had a few months hiatus. 
the community in Lille, I mean, it's definitely not as a big, a big city like Berlin. So there are, but it is a very, uh, there, there's a big tech community here. There are many tech startups and tech incubators. So I was expecting more people to come in, but I've really had to kind of grab people and tell them to come and check it out. Um, we've got about 100 people in the meetup group. And so I'm, I'm rebooting it for January. For January, so my first one this year will be in in, uh, in uh, at the end of January. I haven't had one since, I mean, really since the since like May of uh, of this year. And um, what I've what I found more the most challenging is getting people to do talks. Uh, for a long time, it was just me and two other guys, and sometimes like one other person doing talks. But I've I've really had a hard time getting people to uh, to to sort of be empowered and 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 tackle a subject. So what I've done for for January is I've gone and just grabbed people from Paris, entrepreneurs, uh, and said like you know come on over and explain. so we'll have Richard Catano on, for instance, uh, from uh, Handshake. Uh, we'll have the founder of uh, the Yollet Wallet and um, and uh, a guy who works for Paymium and. You know the response that I've got from that. I mean, like lots of people signed up for it, so I'm hoping that um, this will sort of uh, give people the the drive to want to do talks. And I've talked to yeah. other people here in town that do meetups, like web design meetups and things like that, and and they tell me like if nobody wants to propose a talk, we just don't do one. So maybe that's maybe that's the right approach. Yeah, that's certainly one way to do it, right? You can just have social meetups. Uh, in Berlin, it hasn't been a problem generally getting talks. I mean, because we have like a lot of meetups, it has sometimes been the case that I I could only find like one person to give a talk or something versus like three that maybe we'd like to have or at least two. Um, and sometimes if I had to run after people and like email them, but in general it has been pretty good. And uh, some people have also sort of gone that they... When Johan Barbie of 37 Coins was still in Berlin, he was giving a talk every meetup. Uh, and I, I've given a lot of talk myself. And a few other people have also given a lot of talks. So th that's been definitely something that it's just also something, oh, you can take on any topic, get into it and give a talk about it. Uh, and, you know, I've, I've done a lot of times to take one day to, to learn about the topic and, and, you know, for example, give a talk on Ethereum or something like that. Um, but that's definitely... I, I'm sure that's a challenge if you have a smaller, a smaller community and maybe not as many uh, active people. Um, but before we get into our first topic, we want to briefly talk about our sponsor, uh, Gems here. So let's put up the logo. So Gems, uh, I think uh, many of you have heard about it. Gems is a social messaging app. We have had Daniel Pellet, the CEO, on. A few weeks ago, uh, it was a very interesting episode, and I encourage you to check it out. So, uh, gems. Uh, the way I like to think about gems is that it's a bit like WhatsApp, but it has a cryptocurrency aspect to it. So it has its built-in cryptocurrency, and the cryptocurrency is used for a few things. First of all, it's sold in a crowd sale, and that sale is still going on today. So if you want to get involved in that, we'll tell you the URL where you can go to at the end. So the crowd sale uh, serves to raise funds uh, to build the app. That's one thing. It also gives people a stake in the project. So we've brought some gems. So we are like invested in the project. We want it to succeed. Uh, and if it does succeed, then the, the tokens we've bought, 
they will appreciate in value. And uh, a third thing it's used for is that gems will be used to incentivize users. So for example, uh, you know, for exa let's take Facebook as an example. We have some power users on Facebook that have uh, thousands of friends, post all the time, invite new people. And you can really say that they've played a, a big role in making Facebook a success. But and not to mention brands too, they have like hundreds of thousands of followers. Exactly, right? But uh, I think brands, they tend to have a monetary interest to try to get people off. But a lot of people, if you talk about users, they don't have a monetary interest. All they do is, is they really increase the value of the, the platform. And Facebook now being worth, I don't know, 50 billion or whatever it is, uh, they haven't gotten anything for that. So what the gems currency uh, can do is it can incentivize people for that, right? So you can say, uh, you do a lot to increase the value of the network, increase the value of the platform, uh, we reward you. And, and that's something I think that has a huge potential. And, and that's why I think it has a big shot of actually, you know, becoming a big success. I, I, uh, I, I have to say, I, I, I actually have it on my phone. Yeah, I, uh, Daniel allowed <laughs> me to get the, the, the better version. And uh, so this actually comes out on, on January 30th, I think for iPhone and, I, and uh, Android. I've been using it and I got to say, it's really, really cool. And the interface. Is there, uh, is there, uh, what about the iPhone? Is there a beta for that yet? Well, I think just from a uh, technical perspective, it's, it's, it's a bit harder to get people in on an iPhone beta because you need to sort of add them in the developer platform. He just sent me the APK for the, for the Android version. Okay. Um, so the cool thing about this is that it works with Telegram. So Telegram is an open source messaging platform. There's 50 million users. So if you have Telegram or if your friends have Telegram, they'll show up in your list and vice versa. So yeah, so uh, now so a couple of cool things about this. So they've, they've integrated the wallet. So for example, like if you see here, like I've got 123 gems and I can tap it and it says that I've got uh, 0.003 Bitcoins. And when, when you're in a conversation with someone, you just type like 100 gems and... It sends them straight away. And then, and then it sends them the gems. So I'll, I'll show you. Uh, okay, I should probably delete clear history. So I'm, I'm just typing in 100 gems. All right, so I've got it here, 100 gems. And then I could press this little gems button down here and it would send the gems. So it's, the, the integration of the wallet is really well done. Like it's, that's really cool. And they've got, uh, so encrypted chat as well. So you can begin an encrypted chat with someone, initiate it, and all the messages are encrypted end to end. And you can even set like time limits. So a bit like Snapchat, but for messaging. So you could say like, my messages only last 10 seconds and then they get deleted. So that's really cool too. Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's a cool project. And uh, that's another thing that I'm excited about. And that's also sort of the project that uh, they talked, that Daniel talked about that motivated them was that they want to really bring cryptocurrencies to a wider audience. And, and this is something that could do it. Uh, and I think has a, a good shot at doing it. And of course, the cool thing is that the potential is just so big, right? Because even if you think of Coinbase having like 2 million users at most, right? I mean, 2 million wallets probably means like more like 1 million users or something. Um, it, and if you think of like a company like WhatsApp having 500 million users or something like that, you, know, you don't have to get very far. Only if you get like 5% as good as WhatsApp, right? 5% as far as WhatsApp, that's still a huge number of new big, uh, cryptocurrency users. So that, that's, that's an exciting thing. Now, um, 
So they've raised about 2,000 Bitcoins, I think a bit more. So if you want to, the, I don't, so I think the sale is going on for like about another uh, week. And till January 5th. January 5th, yeah. So if you want to back the project and uh, purchase some tokens, you can do so at Coinify. So that's K O I N I F Y.com. And then uh, you will see it, Gems. And you can also check out the app at getgems.org. Uh, so yeah, uh, please do so check it out and I'm certainly excited until I have uh, the version as well and I can send Sebastian some gems. <laughs> and thanks a lot to gems for the supportive episode of Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. So back to our episode. Now we have the first kind of proper topic. Now we're already kind of in. So the first topic we wanted to talk about was regulation. Now we've talked about regulation uh, quite a few times in this podcast. It's been uh, a big topic, although not so much in the last three months. Uh, I think at some point regulation is going to become less important. Right? At some point we're going to stop talking about regulation because it's sort of established, right? Like we know how what people have to do. It's going to become a boring subject at some point. It's not right now, right? It's so important right now. And it has such a huge influence on where things are going. And... So if we, in, in my view, if we look at the sort of current state of regulation, right, there are two uh, main jurisdictional areas that matter. The first one is the United States. The second one is Europe. Now, a bit simplifying, of course, Canada matters and, and the rest of the world also to some extent. But uh, those are... Yes, Canada matters. <laughs> <laughs> but those are by far the most important, right? So... Uh, what's going to happen in the US and in Europe is going to have a big influence on the rest of the world. And it's also just going to have a big influence because a lot of Bitcoin companies are there, right? The most uh, Bitcoin companies are either in the US or in, in Europe. So in my view, in the EU, there's one thing that sort of looms above everything, which is this VAT case. So the question is, do you have to charge VAT on the sale of Bitcoin? So uh, let's say, uh, for example, there is a company called Cefelo in Sweden. It's like Coinbase. You can you can give them, uh, you can buy 300 euros worth of Bitcoin from them. So the question is, do they have to charge you VAT on that and then give that money to the government? Now, if that's the case, it is total disaster. It is a disaster in so many fronts. It makes everything a mess. It especially makes a mess of accepting Bitcoin as, as a payment for companies. It essentially becomes impossible. Uh, and it's not clear which way that's going to go. And in some countries, like the UK, they've said uh, there's no VAT. And in other countries, like uh, Sweden, for example, they said VAT should be charged. And now the EU Court of Justice is going to decide that. We don't know exactly when, but it's probably going to be reasonably soon, probably 2015, I guess. Um, and that's going to determine a lot of things. So that's... Really, the one thing I think that's looming in Europe that's going to be, it could be a big, big threat to Bitcoin. It could really have a, a huge negative effect. And it's something that people aren't, aren't so aware of, I think. Uh, I was uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago or something, at a, a workshop in, um, in Berlin about founding a cryptocurrency bank with Fedor and, and some other people, Kraken were there, 
Uh, so about 30 people talking about how we could go about finding cryptocurrency bank. And this, for example, is a topic that was not really talked about. People aren't totally aware of it, but it's so important. It could totally destroy this project and it could destroy so much uh, with Bitcoin in Europe. So that's uh, looming there. We don't know where it's going to go, but uh, it's a big, big, dark cloud in the sky. And then the other in the US, we have the big license thing, right? So we've talked about lic license as well. Uh, there has been some update. I think uh, Benjamin Losky has said that some uh, they've, they've made some clarifications about the, what it will look like. And I think they're positive clarifications. So before there were some rules that were just totally crazy. Like, for example, that um, every uh, every Bitcoin, uh, you know, bit licensed company. So basically everyone who sort of transacts with Bitcoin or holds Bitcoin for someone else, they have to know every party to every transaction. So that means a wallet provider would have to prevent you from sending Bitcoins to some unknown address because they don't know the party of that transaction, right? Totally crazy. Uh, I mean, it would totally destroy Bitcoin. Fortunately, they've gotten rid of that or they have announced that they will get rid of that. Uh, and, and they've done some other good changes. So we haven't yet seen the results, but I am reasonably optimistic there that they will be uh, at least semi-reasonable and they will allow at least the well-funded companies and, and some people to actually provide good Bitcoin products in the US. And uh, I think it seems it, it may well be likely that other states are going to uh, take on or take over this bit license thing. But even if not, companies will have to cooperate with it because otherwise they can't have New York customers, which is also a pain. Um, so th those are kind of the things that stand out to me. Uh, this VAT case and the bit license thing, and, and they're really important. And I think 2015 is going to determine a lot. I think we will know a lot more at the end of the year how feasible the regulatory environment will be, You know how, uh, mm. how much it will allow cryptocurrencies to blossom. Uh, I'm curious, what do you think is, has the potential to be uh, most harmful to Bitcoin? The VAT case, uh, for instance, uh, the European court uh, d d defining that VAT must be charged on Bitcoin, or the propositions of bit license. I, I think it's the VAT case. I, uh, absolutely. I think the bit license stuff is, uh, while annoying and a pain, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, it's a problem. I don't think it's as big of a problem as the VAT case. I think the VAT case, if VAT is charged, that would just be really, really, really bad. My way of thinking of this is, uh, I mean, if, if that doesn't get, go through, that there's no way that, that the regulators are not aware that this will kill the, the ecosystem. Well, they don't care. Right? First of all, this is not the regulators, right? This is the justice system interpreting the existing law. It's not like someone making new law. They're saying like, hey, this is a Bitcoin thing. Where does it fit in our existing VAT tax law? Uh, well, it should be in that category. Hence, VAT needs to be charged. So these are not people coming up with uh, new regulatory frameworks for Bitcoin. Uh, so far, I don't think there is really an initiative to do that in Europe. Um, but... So, so yeah, so so, but they don't care if Bitcoin is gonna have a problem. They don't care if you know some companies will have to you know get out of Europe or close shop, etc. I, I I honestly don't think 
Bitcoin has the weight, the prominence, uh, the mind share uh, for people to really take that into account. I may be wrong about this. Maybe they do care. No, no, I think, I think you're right. I, I think that the, there is definitely not the mind share. There's definitely not the weight or lobbying power or, any, or anything of that. So, yeah, one, one more thing to mention on this uh, is that in this court case, different countries could submit their positions, right? So Sweden submitted their position. They said VAT should be charged on Bitcoin. And other countries could sort of also put in their positions because in the end, what they decide is going to apply European-wide. And uh, the only countries that have uh, put in or submitted uh, their, their stance on this issue have been uh, Germany and Estonia. And both countries have said, yes, VAT should be charged. There hasn't been a single country that has said, uh, no, it should be exempt or no, this is too important of a technology industry. We don't want the scarce startups. Nobody has taken this position uh, in front of the court. I mean, the only one who can take that position is the guy who's actually doing the lawsuit, the Swedish guy. Uh, but no country, no official government authority has taken that position. So, yeah, it, it certainly is an uh, occasion to, to worry about, but I guess we will see where this goes. We might be out of jobs in a few, in a few months. Oh, uh, and one, one more thing uh, on the regu regulatory front that I think is going to be very interesting to watch is the whole issue of crowd sales. So there was recently a, a, a Coindesk article. I don't know how much attention it got, but I think it's kind of a big story in a sense. So some guy uh, had some Bitcoin exchange and he sold, let me pull this up. Bitcoin Trading Corp or something like that. It doesn't really matter that much. But this guy sold some sort of crypto shares uh, for Bitcoin. And now he got a fine, which was equivalent to like all the profits he ever made with his company plus $10,000 or something like that. Uh, pretty hefty fine, right? So the question is, to what extent uh, are these crowd sales legal? Like if you talk about, for example, Ethereum or the thing Swarm have done, or some of those things. Uh, it's it's worrying, right? We certainly hope this should be legal, um, but it's kind of unclear. And it's un it's unclear to what extent the SEC is going to go after um, people who have organized crown sales. So that that's definitely something that worries me and that probably worries a lot of people. And I, I think we don't know uh, where it's going to go. And of course, the, the, the line is sort of, you're not allowed to sell shares, but you are allowed to sell products. So... And and with some of the things we're talking about here, let's say uh, Ether for Ethereum's currency, the the lines are sort of blurred. Is it a product or is it a share or is it? I mean, it's not technically a share. It doesn't pay dividends, but it's also maybe one could say it's a share. Some people treat it as if it was a share. So it's uh, it's something else to worry about, and uh, I I don't know where this is gonna go, but. It, it will be no, I, I, I think that, you know, if, if 2014 the states have started being aware of Bitcoin and thinking of ways they might be able to regulate or at least fit it into existing regulation, 2015, I think we'll see more of that uh, focus on, on dApps. Now, the, the, I guess the next uh, phase of that is when we start getting into regulated professions. So take, for example, and that's already happening now with just like the regular financial system or the, the, you know, the regular startup uh, ecosystem with companies like Uber, Airbnb. Um, 
being confronted with existing regulation with regards to regulated professions, you know, when you have the ride-sharing service, uh, the Bitcoin ride-sharing service, or the Bitcoin version of Airbnb, or the Bitcoin version of God knows what other regulated profession, then you start getting into like a whole other um, a whole other area of regulation that you know, has like lobbies and you know, yeah, yeah. groups that are protecting your interests. So absolutely, I think no, you're totally right. The whole DApps issue is going to bring up a whole other host of questions that people haven't even thought about yet, and that I think regul regulators and law enforcement have like literally no clue about. Uh, so I think to some extent this may become a topic next year. But uh, yeah, just look at like proof of existing protocols, like Factum, for example. You know, what will not notary services uh, think of that? Yeah, so I, mean, I think Factum is not that com like probably not going to be that controversial. I think other areas are going to be much, much uh, more. But yeah, uh, will will be very interesting, definitely. I think uh, I, I suspect it's probably more going to become an issue, maybe two thousand sixteen or something. Like when when those apps actually start getting a lot of users, because probably next year is still going to be like people developing things, uh, people figuring out the user experience, people doing all those things. Maybe you start having some users, but I personally kind of doubt that we will see kind of breakthrough uh, apps, especially if you talk something like Uber, like complicated things. Um, but yeah, afterwards, yeah, definitely going to be interesting. So moving on to the next topic, uh, adoption. So we, we've sort of seen, uh, the, the thing with adoption is there's, there's a divergence in incentives. So we've seen strong merchant adoption in the last year. Uh, I mean, strong, you know, reasonably strong merchant adoption with large merchants starting to accept Bitcoin, uh, Microsoft, uh, Overstock, Tiger Direct. You know, there have been some big stories of, uh, of merchant adoption, but user adoption has been sort of weak. I guess one thing that, can that you can attribute to that is that you know, there's a strong incentive for merchants to start accepting Bitcoin because for them, it, it allows them to gain new customers potentially. We're still sort of in this period where uh, there's a novelty aspect to it, which will get you, you know, all the like publicity and everything and potentially new users within the Bitcoin community. However, for new users entering the space um, or even outside of the space, there's very little incentive uh, because for them, it doesn't cost them anything to use a credit card, whereas the charges, the costs are usually um, uh, taken by the merchant. Uh, so there's the incentives haven't been aligned there so far. Uh, I think there are a couple of things that will uh, sort of change this. Um, you know, one one of the one of the ways that uh, companies have, are trying to bring new users into the ecosystem are projects like Gems, right? So, uh, creating an altcoin which uh, has an actual use case within an application. Um, one one other interesting area that we've been looking at or we've been closely looking at is change tips. So, I don't think this has the same sort of impact as uh, a product like Gems uh, for the time being. I think. You know, it's mostly used within the Bitcoin ecosystem, people tipping each other. Uh, once you start to see sort of widespread tipping where people with Bitcoin are tipping people with that don't use Bitcoin. Well, I think that that's happening. Gets them. Definitely. That's happening, but I don't know to what extent it's happening. Um, I think I think there's 
uh, I think apps will play a large a large role. Uh, so you know, we may see other apps uh, enter the enter the space, like other messaging apps, like Gems, for instance, uh, or uh, cloud storage. You know, that's another space that uh, is due to be disrupted, and where people have a strong incentive to use the currency. So you know, those are two areas where I think in the developed world we might see an increase in users. Remittances, well, it's a little unclear, right? Uh, we really thought that remittances, remittances were going to take off in 2014. At least I, I really thought that this would, uh, this would be the case. Um, hasn't really turned out that way so far. Uh, I guess uh, there hasn't really been um, a strong increase in adoption in those countries where, uh, where we send mo the most of our remittance uh, payments. So it's hard for you know people sending money there to uh, change their money back into yeah. local currency so that has been a barrier you know, some companies are trying to change that but yeah i mean i think you know you you face it correctly so that the, the the basic the main basic challenge is that today if you talk to your grandmother about bitcoin or to your parents about bitcoin someone some random person about bitcoin especially if you're in the us or if you're in europe or some someplace like that uh, you cannot give them very strong reasons to use Bitcoin. I mean, there are a few, right? So if one is buying drugs on these dark markets. That's just something you need Bitcoin for. And if you are interested in that kind of product, uh, it, you know, it makes sense to actually go out and buy Bitcoins and do it that like that because, you, you know, you don't have to go out and meet some guy, etc. So you actually have a strong reason there. And I think the other strong reason, that the main reason actually, has been speculation, right? People buy Bitcoins because they think it's going to succeed and then the value is going to increase and they're going to get rich, right? So that, I think that's absolutely the, the number. Those are the, the main reasons. Then you also have maybe some ideological reasons, like I love this independence and uh, like money free from the government, that kind of thing. So some people are drawn by that. So if you have those three reasons, they are they tend not to be enough to or they tend not to be the right reasons to sort of get the broad mass of people. The broad mass of people don't want to speculate in some like weird currency they've never heard of. They don't want to buy drugs on dark markets and they're not ideologically driven that they're like, oh, I want to have this new currency about the government. So the question is, then how do we get them to take Bitcoin, right? How do we get them to start using Bitcoin? Well, that's a real challenge, I think. And yeah, change tip can be something, I think, possible. Gems it could be that start using that, right? Uh, payments, you know, I think once you set up, uh, for example, paying online, it's actually kind of more convenient with Bitcoin than with credit card, it's entering all those details. Now, the, the problem is, it's not enough more convenient to make sense to like go out and get some Bitcoins just to buy things online. Uh, but uh, at least it's a s small advantage and maybe over time this can become a bigger advantage. Let's say if it's integrated in your bank account and you can automatically buy Bitcoins and then you pay and it repurchases so you don't have to worry about the volatility or something like that. Then maybe you could say, like, I'm going to start using some Bitcoin even if I don't care. Um, then there's developing countries. Mm. I, I think one, one interesting uh, space we... We've talked about before, but haven't really looked at as uh, as a, a plausible means to bring you know, sort of lots of people into the, into the spaces. Um, 
this idea of using cryptocurrency as fidelity points. So say for, for example, an existing brand uh, d d creates a fidelity uh, loyalty like program. Like a loyalty, yeah. Yeah, right, a loyalty program. Sorry, I'm using the French word. Uh, <laughs> to, uh, and, they, and they use a cryptocurrency to do this. Um, and then they start advertising that on TV. You know, think of you know, Facebook and Twitter back in like 2005, 2006, when brands started using social media and started advertising on TV, like TV commercials, like follow us on Twitter or, you know, like us on Facebook. Um, I think this sort of brought on um, uh, awareness of social media to the general public and sort of bringing it down to the common denominator. Uh, I think when brands start utilizing cryptocurrencies in this way uh, for some sort of like new innovative fidelity program, uh, that that might be one of the ways that we'll we'll, we'll see an increase in use in crypto. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's an interesting use case, and I think, yeah, I, th I think that's uh, very likely that it will actually happen at, at some point, right? The question is when, and but yeah, that, that, I think that's actually not. Uh, uh, quite feasible that right now companies like I mean and that's something if we talk about adoption that's actually sort of surprised me because I had expected that user adoption would sort of be faster than merchant adoption you know I, I really thought that there would first have to be a significant user base before a company like Microsoft would say oh we start taking Bitcoin has been totally the opposite way it really surprises me um, it makes sense if you think about the incentives, right? Like them having the payment fees and also them sort of thinking ahead more. Um, but yeah, I think it's not far-fetched to think that like, oh, now Microsoft or, or Dell or the best example of this is Reddit, right? So Reddit is planning to have its own cryptocurrencies that will be backed or something along those lines by Reddit stock uh, so that people can actually sort of, you know, a valuable Reddit users get rewarded and, and if Reddit succeeds they get some money and like that, that kind of thing is cool really innovative and I think if that we, that we may start seeing uh, we might start seeing on a much broader level and, and that could actually make a big difference I agree um, and I guess the, the one last thing sort of in adoption that will be interesting to see in 2015 is or, or, or as a, at least I, I've been thinking about this quite a bit. Is the whole question of the financial sector? So this is we talked about this with Daniel Galancy in in a podcast about Solid X, because uh, his company is essentially tackling that problem. So right now, yeah, you know, for example, if you invest your retirement money, uh, you can't buy bitcoins. But maybe you could say it actually wouldn't make sense to put in, let's say. Uh, half a percent of your retirement fund in Bitcoin because maybe it works out and it will be worth a lot, right? And if it doesn't, you didn't lose a lot. So uh, that kind of role as, a, as an asset, as an investment asset, it hasn't happened yet, but it could happen soon, right? I think the, the Winklevoss ETF is uh, one aspect, one tool that could make that possible. Uh, and, and if it does happen, that's not going to lead to a ton new users, but I think it could lead to a ton new sort of indirect Bitcoin owners and it could lead to an increase in price. And I think that could indirectly have a really big impact on on Bitcoin as well. And perhaps that's going to happen. I, I think I'm actually pretty optimistic that this will be something in 2015.
Yeah. So there's some up. There, there isn't like one area where uh, which can drive adoption. There are sort of multiple areas as are pulling people into the into the space. Uh, very different people, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll we'll see which ones are most effective. Right. It's very very much an open question. I think how. Because there are so many different angles, right? This can happen. There's this sort of increase in adoption, driving adoption, and we just don't know where it's gonna it's gonna occur. Um, I think in contrast with last year, so last year we were sort of expecting adoption, but not really knowing what were the levers, uh, what 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 would uh, cause that adoption to occur. Now I think we're seeing more of the pieces of the puzzle of the puzzle kind of falling into place and. Um, yeah, so you know, like I said, there's, there there are multiple areas where adoption could grow. So shall we move on to our next topic? Totally, yeah. DApps and Bitcoin 2.0. I don't know about you. I I don't like the term Bitcoin 2.0. I, I um, although my my Twitter handle is sep 2.0. I, I hate when people use 2.0 to define something new and innovative. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, I mean. I think it sort of works in terms of like people understand what you're talking about. Yeah, but it definitely has uh, its flaws. The term. So I mean, if we look <sighs> at yeah. the Bitcoin 2.0 space, uh, there have been multiple developments in the last year. Uh, we've definitely seen an increase in the amount of protocols um, building on top of Bitcoin, and I mean some of those have sort of died off, I guess you could say. Some have taken more prevalence. Counterparty has definitely developed into this kind of huge platform uh, for build, for uh, crowdfunding. You know, Ethereum has had their crowd sale and a very successful crowd sale. I mean, in, in the history of crowd sales, like Indiegogo, Kickstarter, everything, it's in second place, uh, according to this article we found on Wikipedia. So, I mean, that's pretty impressive when you think about it. Um, and there are also have been many real feasible use cases for dApps. So we've mentioned a few of them already. Storage, uh, Factum, and Gems are, within, uh, are among those, those use cases. Now, where is this all going? One, one area that I see really developing in the last year, in the, in the next year, is inoperability between these dApps. So what that means is the ability to, um, I mean, I think these dApps will develop uh, on top of their existing platform APIs, which will like, which will allow them to operate um, together in a decentralized way so that, for example, uh, I mean, you can use gems to send a message to, uh, say, Factum to embed some sort of information into, into the blockchain. Um, you know, perhaps also using, I mean, I'm using examples that we have so far, but, uh, Factum having an API which allows you to send proof of existence from, uh, send a file from storage into a Factum chain so that you can have proof of existence. So I, I think these are the types of things that we'll see develop in the next year, interoperability. Also, one thing that I think, you know, coming back to adoption, uh, that's very important and that will definitely grow awareness of uh, decentralized applications and cryptocurrencies in general is seeing more dApps in app stores. So I think when Gems enters the app store, you know, if it is successful, uh, if it does gain traction, having a dApp in the app store is one big step uh, to gaining uh, more users. Um, you know, there are many app stores. There's the, uh, the Apple uh, iPhone and iPad app store. There's the Play Store. 
There's the Mac, uh, Mac OS store. I think there's also a Windows store. So if we have visibility in those app stores, uh, that will definitely help increase adoption and increase awareness in, uh, in cryptocurrencies in general. Uh, crowd sales is also an, uh, an important um, area to be looking at. So we have seen multiple crowd sales this year and many successful ones. You know, Ethereum is definitely probably the most successful. And uh, you know there are others that have uh, proven to be successful. This model is being uh, is being we're sort of proving that this model can exist and that it is successful. Uh, that we don't have to go through platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. That we can uh, start a, a create a, a create a product and start a company and build it entirely on crypto and run a crowd sale without having to go through any platform and sort of just run our own marketing and. Uh, you know, I think that will grow in the next year. Now, will we see? Uh, the, I, I guess now the um, what, what we have to be careful of is sort of identifying uh, good crowd sales and bad crowd sales. You know, now that we've seen this model work and we've been able to test it and see that it's actually effective, you know, some people will probably try to take advantage of that and, uh, and, you know, create scam coins. So, uh, I guess, you know, building reputation around, around a product is sort of an, an important, uh, component to being able to start a crowd sale. Yeah, no, I think it's really very interesting. And of course, Ethereum launch is going to be a big thing. Uh, I think, well, I don't think we will see like yet, probably in, in the next year, like actually Ethereum apps. Uh, I, I mean, people will develop them, but probably not to the point where people actually, you know, use Ethereum apps on their iPhones and stuff. Uh, but it would be very interesting to see how it's received in the developing community, people on developing cryptocurrency apps, and, you know, to what extent it competes with a uh, ground party and things like that. And, and I do think, that, yeah, the crowd sales, uh, you were mentioning that definitely is something, a model that just works. It just makes a lot of sense for this. And I, I don't think it's going to go away. I mean, a lot of people criticize it. Uh, but it, it just makes so much sense. So, um, <laughs> do you, if you, is there something else you want to cover on regarding dApps? Well, I, I think the next uh, logical applications of dApps, well, I mean, there, there's one I think that we'll see uh, uh, be tackled in, in maybe 2015, perhaps 2016, is Wi Fi sharing. So, we've, we've, uh, started to see storage uh, or cloud storage uh, uh, be applied to dApps, you know, messaging, um, proof of existence, Wi-Fi sharing, I think is uh, an interesting area that we will start to see being uh, uh, addressed by, by startups. And maybe carpooling, I, I don't think like Uber style uh, ride sharing, but perhaps like carpooling uh, would be uh, an interesting area to uh, to decentralize because it is you know really like a peer-to-peer -peer economy. So I, I think all of the existing incumbents of the peer-to-peer -peer economy are sort of up next, uh, if you will, in terms of model that models that need to be decentralized uh, that will be decentralized. Uh, I think if we start getting out of the software um, um, space like the first ones that will be centralized are probably like carpooling or airbnb i think we've actually there have actually been examples of that yeah 
No, I, I agree. I think the the whole um, sharing economy um, business models are very interesting to think about. You know how they will will turn out if you start integrating Bitcoin or, or start building them. I, I think rather than integrating Bitcoin, if you start sort of building them as decentralized applications or as uh, things with its own token sort of baked into it. Um, just very briefly, we've had some questions in the, in the Q&A and uh, I suggest we, we cover those very briefly. Uh, so, um, <laughs> Anna Kurt, so she is uh, running one of the other meetups in Berlin. She's running uh, a meetup for, uh, for girls or for women. Uh, so I think it's one of the only ones to do that. And she, she does, I think, once a month and it's, it's very successful too. So she was asking, so she's feeling that a lot of uh, meetup organizers put a lot of energy in it and are running out of power after a year or six months uh, running it. Um, so what about personal experiences? Uh, I think, Sebastian, it did sound a, a little bit like this was your uh, this was your experience maybe to some extent, right? With your difficulties finding people. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, if I was running like a quantified self meetup, for example, if, if, if I'd be experiencing the same thing. But uh, yeah, it, it's been my experience. That it's, it's been hard to find speakers, at least people in my yeah. community that have been um, willing to, uh, to speak. Like I really have to get after them. And tell them to. yeah so I, I mean personally it, it I would say it ha I mean it is sometimes tiring especially because uh, somehow I haven't been fa able to find someone else who wants to sort of you know be a co-organizer and actually like be sort of engaged with it so it, it can sometimes be a bit tiring to do it you know every two weeks because it's a, a, a big frequency but overall I think it hasn't been a big issue because first of all I I think it's just pure luck by being in Berlin where there is a strong Bitcoin community already. It makes everything much, much easier. And the other thing is because I'm, you know, I think I'm going to be doing uh, cryptocurrency things for years to come. So I, I'm not so discouraged. You know, I have a very long view as well. So, so I think that the, all the effort putting in now is something that makes sense. Yeah, I feel the same way. So uh, Anna also mentioned, uh, yeah, other other media posts having decreasing numbers. Yeah, I can definitely see that happening. And so recipe for hosting a successful meetup. You know, I think meetup.com is great. It really it works, especially when it's used. I, I recently met some guy from Liechtenstein, and uh, he wanted to start a big meetup there. He came to Berlin and sort of. Uh, I, I met up with him and the problem there is nobody uses meetup right so you have to find different ways but if people use meetup in your place you can put up a meetup group and people tend to uh, just enroll because they get notified oh here is a new meetup and over time you have a, a certain number of people you can launch a meetup and, and I think that works well uh, and then I do think probably if you don't have um, speakers it would probably make sense to just do it like monthly drinks meetup you know sebastian I probably i would probably do that if i was you you know yeah uh and then have speakers as you know whenever they are speakers because I, I think people in berlin for example they really appreciate uh, the monthly drinks meetup at room 77 it's, it's popular it works well it's been there forever and it's no effort to organize right all you have to do is put in uh, the meetup event, you don't even have to go there yourself as the meetup organizer. It's it's really unstructured and and I think that's a it's a good it's a good thing. Um, 
Yeah, so the other question is the smart contracts. I think we sort of addressed that. I, th I think we are pretty far away from having dApps, Ethereum apps on the phone and all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think that's going to probably take longer than people think. So I think with that, uh, do you want to, should we do the shapeshift hat? Sure. So before we move on to our next topic, we'd like to talk about shapeshift. So, I mean, when, when you buy Bitcoin for the first time, there are all these roadblocks, right? You, 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 you have to, I mean, the, the, the inoperability between fiat currency and Bitcoin is known to be complicated, but I think most people expect that when you're in the, when we have Bitcoin, it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be hard to get other currencies, you know, once, once you're in it, once you're in there. And that's still very hard. I mean, up until recently, it was still fairly complex to buy Litecoin from Bitcoin or sell Dogecoin for Litecoin, uh, etc. Because you still have to deal with exchanges. And exchanges, in most cases, will ask for you to create an account, uh, will ask for you to prove your identity, will, you know, you'll have to place an order, uh, wait for the order to be fulfilled. That takes a long time, and it's not easy. It, it's not uh, the, the best way to do it. The best way to get altcoins is to use Shapeshift. So Shapeshift is at shapeshift.io. And you know, the way to think about this is Google Translate for cryptocurrencies. And uh, I, I, really love this, I really love this analogy. Actually, Alan Scott uh, kind of coined this in one of our recent episodes. And so we're, I'm going to show you exactly how Shapeshift works. If I could just share my screen here. We're having a hard time with the Hangout today, Indeed. aren't we, Brian? <laughs> uh, okay, so screen share is not working. Well, that's a shame. Okay. So anyways, so shapeshift.io, it's very simple. You get a shapeshift.io and uh, basically you see like a Google Translate sort of thing where on one side you've got the currency that you want to convert and on the other side you've got the currency that you want to convert to. So for example, let's say we want to convert Bitcoin into Dogecoin. Uh, we set uh, the amount. So we'll say we want 1,000 Doge or 10,000 Doge or whatever. And then you put your Dogecoin address, you hit start and then Shapeshift will show you uh, a QR code and an amount. So you use your you know, mobile wallet, you scan the QR code, you send the amount to their address and they take care of the rest. You know, in about 20 seconds, the Dogecoin is transferred onto your account. There's no signups required. You don't even have to give them your email address. And uh, it's just really, really easy and simple to use. So- um, Ah, I have it. Oh, you, <laughs> there you go. So there, this is, this is what it looks like. Uh, I don't think we have time to do a demo now, but um, yeah, it's really like Google Translate for uh, for, for cryptocurrencies. Yeah, so there are a lot of different, uh, a lot of, they've added a few more coins. Yeah, they recently added uh, Bitcoin, Dark, Quark, what are the other ones? Uh, Paycoin and Redcoin. I have no idea what these are, but <laughs> I, I, they must be they must they must be significant if uh, if Shapeshift has added them to uh, their list of cryptocurrencies. And who knows, you know, maybe one day you'll be able to buy app coins on this, like Ether or Gems or Storage Coin. Totally. I, I think that's one thing I'm actually excited. I, I think there are a few things uh, in the future that are exciting about this, right? But yeah, I think having crowd sales on there, another thing is, uh, and we've actually been thinking about doing something like that. Well, one thing is cool, they have this browser plugin. So uh, if you, let's say you're on a site, uh, like for example, our site, and uh, there is a Bitcoin donation address, with the Shapeshift browser plugin, uh, it can pull it up and you can donate, let's say, Dogecoin to that Bitcoin address and then Shapeshift on the back 
you know, trades the Dogecoin for Bitcoin and send the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin equivalent of those Dogecoins to that address. So that's really cool, right? Because you can essentially use Dogecoin or uh, some other currency that they have and you can pay with it uh, instead of Bitcoin and a variety of sites. And Shapeshift sort of does the... It's a bit like BitPay, right? So with BitPay, you pay with Bitcoin and people get yours. Well, with Shapeshift, you can do it on your end and you can pay with Dogecoin and the people get Bitcoin, right? So I think that's really cool, right? Because it, it really opens up the usage of altcoins and you can say, oh, I prefer some altcoin and then you can keep using it. So yeah, so head over to shapeshift.io, give it a try, tell us what you think. And uh, we want to thank Shapeshift for their support of Epicenter Bitcoin. Um, yeah, security. Tell us about security, Sebastian. <laughs> well, I mean, security is, is an interesting topic because there are two... There are two areas of security we need to be we can look at. You know, we can look at security of the network, and we can look at user security. And to a certain extent, user security kind of over, overlaps into uh, security of you know Bitcoin startups. I guess I'm more interested in in the user security side. So what we've seen in the last year, if we if we look back at uh, our, our January, our first episode in January of last year, when we were looking at sort of where the uh, Bitcoin storage was going to go at the time, the only real option uh, to store your Bitcoins, I guess, in an easy and semi-secure way was to store them in an exchange. You know, if you didn't want to have to deal with you know, paper wallets and things like that. Um, and at the time, our, our predictions were that you know, hardware wallets would sort of prevail as the sort of, sort of best practice standard way to st- secure your Bitcoins. There have been multiple hardware wallets that come up that have come out in the last year, and we've seen the Treasure Wallet. Uh, the French company Ledger just released their smart card wallet, and um, you know that is still uh, a viable option. It's definitely a very secure option, but I think it still remains sort of a technical, uh, you know, a very high tech way for the sort of like the you know really hardcore enthusiast that really wants to keep his own keys and. Um, you know, the tech-savvy guy. I don't think that's accessible to most people. What we have seen emerge in the last couple of months, and a lot of companies have started doing this, you know, we've seen BitGo, uh, Coin, uh, Coinbase, and uh, other companies like uh, CoinKite, is start developing really simple and easy-to-use multi-sig options. I think Armory and Electrum, you know, uh, uh, de- desktop wallets are also doing multi-sig now. And... What, what multi-sig sort of tackles is the security ease of use trade-off. So you, you have the security, uh, I guess, sort of, you could say as high as security as having a paper wallet or um, a hardware wallet or, or even more secure because, you know, you have um, two out of three or, or three out of five uh, keys. And, and, and you have ease of use. So if you look at companies like, like BitGo, like their, their solution is really easy to use. You've got, uh, you know, they hold one key, you hold one key, and then you've got uh, a backup key. And, you know, to top it off, you've got uh, two-factor authentication. So it's, it's really secure, but, you know, you can use it for day-to-day transactions. So I think many companies have been tackling the security uh, issue and trying to build uh, a user experience and really nice user interfaces around this so that you know, one can easily set up a secure wallet, hold their own keys in multi-sig, and and really be sure that their coins are secure. Um, now there is a, there is a trade-off to that. 
And the trade-off, I guess, is that as companies develop their own multi-sig platforms, uh, technology, it sort of promotes proprietary technology. And one example is that, uh, for example, with BitGo, you know, if you get the if you get the premium account, there are some sort of proprietary components to that. If you want to use multiple users, you know, Coinbase does their multi-sig completely differently. Like it, it's it's uh, off blockchain multi-sig, and like unless you use the uh, advanced features. So you know, I think what we'll see is a lot of companies are going to start offering multi-sig, but uh, the, you know, either they'll be using a proprietary off-chain multi-sig where basically your coins are secured and insured well, no multi-sig is always on multi-sig is always well, on no that's that's not true i mean if you look at coinbase if you take the regular uh coinbase multi-sig i don't think that's on chain you know they just send you two emails to two different places like if you if you take the the if, if the, the the regular uh non-advanced user basic version of multi-sig on coinbase i'm quite sure is off chain no, that doesn't make any sense. Because you're sending to uh, you're sending to a regular Bitcoin address. You're not sending to a, an address. Yeah, but then it's Bitcoin. not multi-sig, right? I mean, multi-sig is very clear and. But right. I mean, so of then course, it's not multi-sig. Right. I, I mean, they have their wall. I think they you have to distinguish, right? So they have their waltzing, which is uh, which is off-chain and which is uh, which is not a multi-sig thing, mm-hmm. and and that's the thing where you have to authenticate with different devices and that kind of thing. Uh, and um, right, so you're right. So that that's not really multi-sig. It it does provide an extra layer of security because it allows you to have multiple signers, but it's not a real like Bitcoin protocol multi-sig. Yeah, and then you have the multi-sig, which is just multi-sig. Of course, they still have their proprietary software, but they also have an open source software which you can still use to spend it yourself. So it's a, I think it's a nice balance, but. Um, but yeah, I think overall, right? It's it's it has been interesting, right? I think a year ago we thought uh, uh, Trezor was sort of coming out, and then we talked a lot about hardware wallets. And now there has definitely been um, a lot of development, especially in the multi-sig area. And we did a fairly prediction during our episode with Ariana about um, the number of bitcoins that were going to be held in multi-sig addresses. So of course you can check that on the blockchain. And that has been going up like crazy. Uh, so I think even a year ago, it was like a, a, hunt, a thousand Bitcoins or something like that. And today it's like 600,000. I, I don't know what it currently is, but it has dramatically increased. And so if you want to check that out, go to Fairlay and look at the multi-sig prediction. And there's a, a nice uh, site too. It's uh, p 2 Yeah. Yeah, so pay the script hash, which is the technical name for multi-sig. Uh, you can look up uh, what the statistics of how many coins are held in multi-sig. Oh, at the moment it's six percent. Wow, that's crazy. It's gone up. I think it was like, I think it was like one point something percent when we did the episode with Ariana Simpson, which was just uh, two months ago, not very long ago, right? So it it's it has dramatically increased. Um. And yeah, I think 2015, I'm, I think those will probably stay the main areas, right? Like we'll have multi-sig and we'll have hardware wallets and there will be a lot of uh, advances in both. And the main challenge is no our uh, user experience, I think. Mm. And and for hardware wallets, another challenge has been price, right? Because the Prezor has been expensive. 
Um, and I think there are cheap alternatives. I'm sure Tracer could be way, way cheaper if it was mass produced, right? But at the moment, there just isn't a demand for that. I think one thing that that, that happened in, in the last year, and definitely we can attribute the uh, Mt. Gox uh, debacle to uh, to this, is the general consensus that just keeping your having your access to your keys is is uh, is really really important, if not mandatory, and. Um, you know, we recently had sort of like another scare uh, with uh, blockchain.info that got hacked. You know, luckily that was a white hat hacker that returned the coins, but um, that really, I mean, that really discouraged me to use uh, blockchain.info, which, you know, I, I think general consensus in the community was that they were um, uh, quite secure. Um but uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Mt. Gox definitely illustrated that having your own, keeping your keys is is uh, is essential. Well, I think with this, we've sort of uh, come to the end of our main topics now. Yeah. So we also wanted to take a, a few minutes just before we wrap up to talk a little bit about Epson and Bitcoin. We did uh, do a bit at the beginning, you know, we've been going for a year now. Uh, this has been a very time consuming project. Like we spend a lot of time on that, like whether it has been, you know, producing episodes, developing content, uh, getting guests on, doing research for shows, etc. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I think we are very grateful for everyone listening. We're very grateful for everyone who's been supporting us, uh, whether it's through tips, through just listening, through leaving reviews, through uh, sending us feedback, through sponsoring us, through being on the show, through... Uh, <laughs> Uh, through sending us questions, uh, suggestions for episodes, to do all those kind of things. Um, so first of all, a big thanks to everyone. Uh, so it has been, it's been a lot of fun. And it's, I think it has been uh, a great success. We've learned a lot. Uh, we've spoken to so many interesting people. And, uh, and I think uh, it has, uh, we have also been very lucky in this context because I and Sebastian, we didn't know each other when we started this. It was uh, quite randomly that we were two of the guys, um, two of the only guys who joined this uh, conference call with Adam Levine about doing uh, some episodes and somehow we decided to do it together and that has worked out, you know, very well. I think the, the only criteria, I think we just said, oh yeah, we're both in Europe, let's do it together. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That was the amount of research we did before launching into this. So given that, I think it has been a fantastic success. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I talk, when I talk to people, I, I, I recently I was talking to some, some uh, old colleagues or, or people that I work with that were entrepreneurs and that were associates and you know, told them about our adventure. And like, you know, I said like, uh, well, I, I didn't know him when I first met Like, what? Are you crazy? <laughs> yeah, you no, him? totally. Yeah, I like mean, three months later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I think I honestly would not recommend this to anyone. I think it's, uh, it's probably a very risky, I think the, the risks are probably like too big. You should, you should do it, but somehow here it worked out. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I think for next year, you know, we, uh, we're going to continue working on this and we have plans to, you know, uh, do a lot like in terms of growing our audience, in terms of improving the quality, uh, improving our brand, improving the quality of whether it's video uh, or audio quality. I think sure. it has if, if I could, just before we start getting into next year. Sure. I'd like, I'd like to point out sort of the major milestones that I think we've had this year. 
what one thing that I think was a defining factor in in our success uh, as um, well to produce interesting content was we changed our format. So when we first started, the idea was sort of to create like a twit style show uh, where we would cover news and you know perhaps at some point have like you know, regular guests on which would, who would come on and. And, and discuss the news topics with us. And, and that's really changed since like episode seven or eight, where we, I don't think uh, consciously, but, you know, unconsciously decided to change the format and, you know, uh, progressively started just having guests on every week and do, doing interviews. Now, I'm personally a little skeptical about how that will play out in the future, if we'll be able to keep doing this, just as, you know, at some point, Will it become sort of redundant? Uh, no, I don't think to have so. startups on <laughs> all the time. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe not now, but maybe in a year from now. Uh, or will we have to sort of like branch off into other topics that are you know still related to crypto, but somewhat on the periphery? Uh, I guess we'll see. Uh, one other major milestone was you know doing video, which is what we're doing now. I think that was like a pivotal thing we should have started i think you agree we should have started doing this way way before absolutely fact, also well, shout we out doing this at the beginning yeah absolutely also uh, i would just want to briefly say thanks uh, and uh, to all those listening please check out singularity one-on-one it's a fantastic uh, podcast really high quality he's also done some cryptocurrency episodes he did one with italic Paterian as well and one with andreas antonopoulos i was skyping with him um uh, yeah in the summer or something and he's like if i know one thing it's like do video uh so after we started talking to sebastian we started doing video and it has been extremely successful so it's definitely absolutely i, I think so if you are listening to this and you're thinking of doing a podcast definitely do video do youtube as well um so that that's definitely one of the lessons we've learned and and we're very excited about this going forward because we we are seeing i think most of our growth is from video yeah so speak speaking of growth I mean, we haven't really set objectives yet, but I, I mean, let, let's not uh, set this in stone, but I, I think we have the potential to grow our audience two to three times over the next year. So I think that's a reasonable number. I think in the end, a lot of it is also going to depend, of course, on the, on the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? Like what, what's going to happen with Bitcoin? Is it going to explode? Well, everything's going to be very easy, right? Uh, or much much easier if it's not then everything's gonna be much much harder so a lot of it to a lot large extent it depends on that but at the same time we do think there are a lot of people still in the bitcoin space who haven't heard about us ever who've never listened to an episode but who would like to who would be interested <clears throat> so one of the focuses one of our focuses is going to be reaching those people now another area is just improving quality uh you know it, when when you're when you're doing a podcast with you know, very little resources like using 50 euro lights and 70 euro cameras and over a ADSL connection and uh, <laughs> and just consumer uh, consumer grade uh, gear you know it, you can produce good quality content but uh, you know if we don't have a producer who's here all the time who's going to make sure that our mics are running okay and the, so that I think that has been sort of a challenge is keeping the quality level uh, consistent uh, whether that be audio quality on the on the audio version uh, or you know preventing like mishaps on the hangout and things like that so I think improving that quality 
improving the brand quality and just streamlining processes is also going to be very important in the next year. And so we're definitely looking at that. And uh, those are things that we'll be working on in the next couple next couple months. Uh, so, but yeah, but like you said, you know, building community and one area that I think we'll also start to uh, endeavor in is how we can diversify Epicenter as a platform, uh, whether that means developing new types of content, uh, new formats, um, bringing more uh, correspondence or hosts on, um, you know, these are not, you know, these things are not defined yet, but I think over the next year, we'll have to start looking at you know, how can we uh, build new things on top of this, ex on top of this existing platform that we've, uh, we've built. So uh, being at the end of our show, uh, sort of our year-end show, Sebastian, what are two, the, the two areas that you are most excited uh, to watch in 2015? DApps. And UI, DApps and UI. So and 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 specifically UI around security. Yeah. And uh, so what I mean by DApps, so we, we we talked about DApps. I'm excited to see more DApps in the App Store, more DApps that are sort of you know uh, appealing to a, a wide audience where people could just kind of hop on and, and start using it and uh, get into the cryptocurrency ecosystem. I think Gems is a really good example of that. Uh, I really believe in what they're doing. Storage is another one. And I think we'll see, see more and more examples of just really high quality dApps um, where you don't even, I mean, people coming into it perhaps don't even know that they're using a decentralized platform and, uh, and start using the, the currency within it to uh, you know, get into cryptocurrency. The other area, you know, UI. Uh, so whether that be UI uh, around uh, <clears throat> Uh, creating smart contracts, for example, um, creating uh, uh, crowd sales, but then also around security. I think that we've come a long way in improving UI uh, around security, but that's definitely one area that needs to be that keeps that needs to keep improving. And um, I think we'll see some interesting examples of that in the next year. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with me, I think uh, two areas are for me the regulation is just i think that's hopefully 2015 is going to be the last year that i think regulation is going to be so front and central but i think 2015 i mean it probably won't be but uh 2015 definitely i think it's just going to play a really big role and it's going to set a determine a lot about where things are going so that's definitely something i'll be paying a lot of attention to and uh, the other thing is, I think the adoption by financial institutions, something I'm, I'm really interested in, I think could have a big impact, sort of indirectly, but uh, one thing I'll be watching a lot. And I will be watching you pay attention to those topics. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, so with that, uh, I think it's, it's time to wrap up. It's uh, time to wrap yep. up uh, 2014 and it's time to wrap up this episode. So uh, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we do appreciate it very much. Also, thanks for the question submitted. There was another question we didn't get to. Uh, you knew him, some guy from Crypto Articles mentioned uh, that he had some something to say about the drop-off in traffic. Maybe he can email you about it and hopefully we can, we can cover it in some way or uh, we'll discuss it. Sure. Yeah, so thanks so much for listening uh, and thanks for following us this year. Now, 
we do our next episode as we mentioned is coming up exactly a week from now same time uh, same place uh, it's going to be with robert sams and it's going to be about creating a sort of a, a stable cryptocurrency gonna be very very interesting really look forward to that and if you uh, want to support the show you can follow us on twitter at epicenter btc you can leave us an itunes review it helps new people find the show so we would totally appreciate that would love that uh, you can also leave us a tip at epicenterbitcoin.com slash tips. And, oh, yeah, and subscribe to us on on YouTube as well. I mean, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, if you subscribe to us on YouTube, you get the Hangouts automatically. Right, right, right. Email. Good point. Yes, do that too. Do all of it right now. Uh, <laughs> and so to, to you, our listeners, uh, have a, you know, great end of the year. Have a great start into uh, 2015. And we look forward to seeing you next week. 